Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you're here, especially this weekend as we wrap up the series on relationships, on four relational game changers. And we've been studying the scriptures. Uh, Obviously, that's where everything that we're about should be coming from. Amen? From the Word of God. And what we're finding out from the Word of God is that through uh, studying some of the examples of relationships in the Bible, we are finding out some of the characteristics that cause those relationships to be very dynamic and very life-changing. And we're seeing how we can apply those into our own lives. Um, just, to, just to kind of set things up here a little bit, um, f- especially for those of you that have been around for a while, um, I, I want to share this with you, especially as we wrap up this series. Probably about eight or ten years ago, I started to notice that a lot of teaching that was going on, and I started to even feel that draw on my own heart, was about relationships. And to be honest with you, I questioned this. I even questioned some of my staff members and, and asked them of their opinions or what they thought about you know, why are we spending so much time on relationships? Because, you know, in my mind, in my heart, 10 years ago, well, we should be learning about faith, and we should be learning about the power, and we should be learning about, uh, you know, all these other things that are in the Word of God. And, you know, why are, we, why are we wasting time on relationships? And it's like the Holy Spirit just has taken me completely in a different direction of understanding. Here's why the Holy Spirit has been stressing relationships. Because relationships are the number one thing that have been under attack for generations now, for generations. That's why we have the divorce rate that we have. That's why we have families that are completely split up and dysfunctional. This is why we have uh, friendships, even amongst church members that split up and people don't talk to each other and all these kind of things. Because the enemy of your soul, who is very real, understands the power of relationships. Understands, especially the relationship between a husband and wife, which Aside from a relationship with God, the relationship that, that exists between a husband and a wife is probably the most powerful relationship because spiritually speaking, what it can produce, what it stops, what it, what it invites into your life is amazingly powerful. Now, for all of those of you that are not in marital status right now, whether you're, whether you're, you're divorced, whether you've never been, whether you're uh, widowed, whatever, it doesn't mean that you're a second-class citizen. What it means at this point, and I want you to understand this so that you can apply this, because many times the devil lies to people. If they're single, if they're divorced, and you know, your life's never going to be the same, you're never going to be able to be, you know, you know, God's never going to use you again, that is absolutely baloney, okay? But now, instead of you being in agreement with or in relationship with another human being, you put yourself in relationship with God Almighty, and you agree with him what he says about the word, okay? So, so why, why is it so important? right now for us to be especially studying relationships in the Word of God? Well, number one, because most people are taking their pattern for relationships outside of Scripture. They're looking to popular people on television, looking to every stupid thing on the Internet to try to teach you how to go along with somebody who is another spirit being. Okay? Because you know who we are. We're not just what you see on the outside. Don't look at me and see this fat, bald guy that talks funny. Okay? That's not who I am on the inside. We are spirit. We've been created in the image and likeness of our Father in heaven. We are a spirit primarily. 
That spirit's gonna live forever someplace. We have a soul. That soul is made up of our mind, our will, our emotions. And all of that is packaged in this wonderful body. Okay? So, so, while we're here on the earth, we are always going to be in contact with people. We're either going to be the influencers or we're going to be the influenced. We need to make sure that if, especially if we're going to be the influencer, that we are not influencing others with ungodly wisdom, with ungodly knowledge, with ungodly way of just doing life that doesn't produce life, it produces death. The only thing that produces life, the only thing that's gonna produce a quality of life that's worth living and that's gonna be contented, contented and fulfilled is knowledge that's based on the word of God. Why? Because it lives and abides forever, okay? So we've been studying this topic of relationships and what just occurred to me this weekend as I looked at all those relationships that we studied, we started out talking about, and I gotta move quick because the last service I ran out of time, okay? The, 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 the first, we started out with, with the relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And usually those are rough relationships, okay? But in this case here, we have a mother-in-law who lost her husband. Uh, she had two sons. Both of those sons got married, but both of those sons died. So now it's the mother-in-law and the two daughter-in-laws left on their own. And we're not talking about a society that had uh, help like we do, social security, welfare, you know, any kind of government aid. Back then, they had nothing. You basically, you're destitute. That's it. You're on your own. And so we have, a, a, you know, potential for disaster here. But we saw in that relationship that both daughter-in-laws cared for the mother-in-law. But one daughter-in-law committed to stay with her mother-in-law, Ruth, uh, Naomi. And we saw that, that that story of Ruth and Naomi, a story of just... Just loyalty. And I don't know about you, but the one thing that I see that's lacking in our society more than ever is loyalty. Man, people will sell their friends out, sell their family members out. It's just horrible. And what's up happening? When, when you have been betrayed, and don't, don't tell me, oh, not me, Pastor. I'm more spiritual than that. I don't care what anybody, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you got the whole Bible memorized, you spend eight hours a day praying. When you get betrayed, it hurts. Yes or no? And so if you don't catch that, if you don't realize where this is going, the, 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 when somebody pulls loyalty out of the relationship, somebody is going to turn bitter. Somebody's turned, And if you read that story about Ruth and Naomi, she says, Naomi says at one point, after suffering all these setbacks, don't call me Naomi, call, call me bitter. Okay? Because obviously that was the state of her heart. So we saw what loyalty did there, how how. They, they came through. They eventually, uh, Ruth gets remarried to a man named Boaz and turns the whole situation around. And then eventually, if you follow Jesus' genealogy, Ruth is in Jesus' background and his, his ancestors, okay? Then we studied Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David's story close to my heart, a story of just brotherly love where, where these two guys just would lay their lives down for each other and how that changed the nation of Israel, how that actually created the pathway for David to take the throne eventually and become the greatest king that Israel has ever seen. To this day, to this day, Judaism is waiting for the, for the son of David to show up again. Well, we say again, okay? And then so when, when Jesus does come, he's going to set that kingdom up again in Jerusalem. He's going to set up the throne of David again. And, and, and look, that messianic hope has been there for for thousands of years. You remember when Jesus is traveling to Jericho and there's a man there that's blind and he begins to cry out. 
You know him as Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, begins to cry out, have mercy on me, O son of David. He recognized when this Messiah comes, he's going to come from David's family. Well, David wouldn't have had David's family. David wouldn't have been king if it hadn't been Jonathan who showed him such brotherly love, who showed him such loyalty. Jonathan lays his life down to make sure that David makes it to the throne. Where are those kind of relationships today? Well, we would go to that length to make sure that we're promoting the benefit of another person. Last week, we talked about Moses and Joshua, another great relationship story. Or Moses, you know, we had the tendency to think because, you know, we watched the Charlton Heston movie, you know. Charlton Heston's in his prime when he's, dude, Moses was 80 years old when he started this journey. 80 years old. You tell me, what 80-year-old in this room has that kind of patience to put up with those people complaining all the time? You have no food and nothing to drink. Why does God hate us? Blah, blah, blah. And so Moses, in his last third of his life, because remember, he lived to be 120 years old, begins to prepare a young man named Joshua. And we see how Moses poured his life into Joshua and how Moses allowed Joshua to experience everything that Moses did to prepare him for the future. So I said all that to say this to you. It finally dawned on me just this weekend how valuable relationships are, because watch this now, relationships prepare us for what we're going to face in the future. Ruth and Naomi's relationship prepared Ruth to, 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 to face the future, of having the, having the, the trust again to, to, to want to get married again. With the possibility, what if I lose this guy? What if he dies on me too? But that relationship prepared her for the future. That relationship prepared her to be David's great-grandmother, Jesus' ancestor. Jonathan and David, Jonathan's relationship with David prepared David for the throne. Moses' relationship with Joshua prepared Joshua to take the people into the promise. Remember, Moses took them out of Egypt, but Moses can only take them so far. And you've got to have wisdom. Listen up. You've got to have wisdom to know when you have gone as far as you can in a relationship, and you're, that's what you're supposed to accomplish. And so then Joshua is prepared to take the people into the promised land. It's Joshua that wins the battle at Jericho. It's Joshua that tells the priests, step into the Jordan. Put your feet in the water. And then the Jordan split, and they went over on dry ground. And we see this weekend, we're talking now about Jesus and his disciples. Now, there was 12. We're going we're to talk about it, but we're going we're to focus in on the three that he was closest with. I hope you'll follow me because I'm going to have to move quick, okay? Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. Now, the name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, really, really is Shimon. Simon, who was called Peter. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So we've got two sets of brothers. We've got Peter and Andrew, and then we've got James and John, both brothers. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, as opposed to James, the son of Zebedee. And then a gentleman called Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. We know him as Jude, okay? Simon the Canaanite, and then at the last, we have... Judas Iscariot. It's almost like you want to go like this, Judas Iscariot. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I wonder if Matthew was tempted to leave Judas off the list. Now, Jesus' relationship with them varied. They, but they all saw and experienced the same love from him. 
Now, he had different purposes for each one of them. Just because he, spent, he spends, ends up spending more time with Peter, James, and John doesn't mean that he loved Peter, James, and John more. By the end of the lesson today, by the end of this teaching, you may see that the reason why Jesus kept Peter, James, and John closest to him is because they were the loose cannons of the, of, of the whole group. Anybody ever have a relationship with somebody you consider a loose cannon? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about when I say loose cannon? It's like you go into a party and you say to the person, please don't talk. Please, please don't talk. Yeah, anybody, anybody, anybody been a loose cannon? So you say to that person, just, just, just stay with me. Don't leave my side. Don't talk. Just, just, just. And, and as soon as they start stepping away, you start going, uh, 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 get back here. I think that's why Jesus kept Peter, James, and John close to him. Because you never knew what these guys were going to do, and we'll see that, okay? Now, Scripture mentions, Scripture mentions Jesus having a multitude of people around him. All right, how many of you aware of that? How many of you aware of multitudes more than 100? Multitude could be anywhere from a few hundred to thousands, okay? So the Bible tells us that multitudes followed him. Some of them followed him because they wanted to hear the teaching. Some of them followed him because they liked the bread and the fish. But he had hundreds, possibly thousands following him, okay? Then out of that, because remember, after he raised us from the dead, the Bible tells us that 500 people saw him alive at one time. Now, out of that 500, Jesus must have seen his 70 that are, he has a little bit more trust in. And so he calls those 70 out of, the, out of the multitude, and he sends them two by two to go preach the gospel into different villages. So he sends 35 teams of individuals. Out of that 70 or the 35 teams, he chooses 12 to be the closest to him. That doesn't mean he didn't love the multitudes. Doesn't mean he didn't love the 500. Doesn't mean he didn't love the 70. But what it means is he had specific purposes outside of what the multitude could accomplish, outside of what the 70 could accomplish. These are to be called right alongside him because he needs them to fulfill his ministry in the future. Now, out of the 70 came what? 12. Out of the 12, who were the ones who were closest to him? Three. Peter, James, John. Amen? So, Mark chapter 1, remember all of these guys, Peter, James, John, Andrew, are all there when Jesus calls them to lay down their fishnets and join him, okay? They're all hardworking fishermen, They're all, all hardworking, tough guys, okay? I, I, you know, I wouldn't last on the fishing boat. I would not last on the fishing boat. My arms would hurt, my knees would hurt, the whole bit. You got to be a tough guy to be a fisherman. Anybody, anybody fishing, anybody has any fisherman experience here? Joe, where are you? There you are. Okay, would you agree I wouldn't last? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> My point is this. We have this picture that's been implanted in our minds about Jesus. And it's usually the one with the little lamb on his shoulder. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. I despise that picture. Because they usually have Jesus with this nightgown on. Okay, and you got the lamb wrapped around his neck. He's got that little angelic face on him. Do you think Peter and James and John would have listened to one word he said if he showed up with a nightgown? <laughs> now, don't read into that. But what I'm saying is this. They were the closest to him because they related to him the most. 
And get this religious picture out of your mind about Jesus being this, you know, this very frail and very delicate and very, you know, wouldn't hurt anybody's feelings. This is a guy that overturned the tables in the temple. And if you read in the original language, you know the New Testament's written in Greek, some Aramaic, but mostly Greek. It, we, we automatically conclude about him being a carpenter, but the original language really tends to go more like a stonemason or a stonecutter. So I picture Jesus, this jack guy coming up to the ship, and Peter's like, man, I can listen to this guy. James is like, man, I can listen to this guy. And so they paid attention. Why? Because in a relationship, there's got to be some basis that you relate to each other with. Like, for instance, I am not pastoring a church in Wyoming because I would not relate to people in Wyoming. God sent me about 40 miles away from where I was born because we all are refugees from North Jersey (laughs) so that we all understand each other. Are you you listening to me? Okay. Um, We got to relate to each other so so we can have a relationship. You notice the only people in the Gospels that Jesus didn't get along with was all the religious people. Why? What do they have in common? All they're worried about is rules and regulations. All Jesus is concerned about is love, relating to people, pulling them out of the garbage heap of their lives, setting them on a solid rock, empowering people, getting them to heaven. Religious people, all they're interested in is getting you in bondage with a set of rules and regulations so that they can control your lives, pick your pockets. So they had nothing to, they couldn't relate to Jesus. So we see from this point forward now, okay, Jesus has called them. Let me give you Mark chapter one, verse 16. And as he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, verse 19, Jesus goes down the beach a little bit further. And when he got a little bit further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So James and John are in business with their father, Zebedee, and have a fishing business, okay? So they were also in the boat, mending their nets. And in me, verse 20, watch this now. I want, to see, I want you to see something. Verse 20, and immediately he called them. Jesus called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. Read their next few words with me. With the hired servants, and went after him. Pastor, why did you get us to repeat those words? Because sometimes we read the Gospels and read the Scriptures through the eyes of Hollywood. Hollywood has always portrayed all of Jesus' disciples as completely destitute, poor. They were wearing rags. They were only stuff. Let me ask you a question. Um, If you had a business, would you have hired servants if you weren't making any money? I I mean, unless you were the government. (laughs) Would you have hired employees and not make any money? No, the answer is no. So, so it's not true that all these people were poor. Obviously, the father had a, a thriving fishing business. These guys left the business because his father had employees. They didn't just dump the father, because if you don't, you, you let this go over your head, you go, well, these guys, what, did Jesus let them just leave the father there? No, the father had employees. These guys were well off. You can't go and follow somebody in ministry. They had families to take care of. We know Peter had a mother-in-law that lived with him, and Peter was a fisherman. So you can imagine the pressure when he came home at night, and, you know, and the next day there's no food. There's no fish. You've heard me talk about this before. 
I could picture Peter's mother-in-law telling his, his, you know, her daughter, I told you you should have married the doctor down the street. You should have married the lawyer. You married this guy. He can't even bring fish home. So they're all under pressure. Are you catching this? Why do I say these things? I want you to understand these are real people just like you and I. With the need for real relationships. With the opportunity to grow in relationships. And that's the story that we're talking about today. So from this point on, we see Jesus pouring his life into these men around him. Now, great, there were women that followed him too. Don't get me wrong. Okay? In fact, the real money for Jesus' ministry came from the women. The Bible tells us that, that they all supported him out of their wealth. Okay? But you notice he never took advantage of them. He never took advantage of them. So from this point on, we see Peter, James, and John are present for every major event in Jesus' ministry. Jesus calms a storm. Who's in the boat? Peter, James, John, rest of the disciples. Jesus casts out demons from people. Who are there? Peter, James, and John. He raises the dead. Who's there? Peter, James, and John. He, he places his hands on the sick or cures people. Who's there? Peter, James, and John. Why am I saying this? Pastor, what's your point? My point is this. If you're going to be in relationship with people and your goal is not to take advantage of people, not to use people, but to actually have somebody be, benefit from being in a relationship with you, you're going to have to let them see your life in front of them. Why am I saying this? Because our culture has developed this horrible habit of image. And on Facebook, we'll let you see only the posts we want to put. Okay, yes or no? So, so now all, all your thousands, thousands of friends. Have you ever met them? Would you know them if you crossed the street? If you met them in the supermarket, would you know? No, oh, why? Because all you see is that little picture, and usually it's the best picture from about 15 years ago. Okay? What are we doing? We're reinforcing this idea of false image. So then when you get in a relationship with somebody today, you really take a chance because you don't know who you really get in a relationship with. Why? Because it's not ingrained any longer in our culture, in our society, that you be transparent with people that you'd be vulnerable with people. It's all about what picture you want people to see. And so sometimes people, I'll never forget many, many years ago, uh, after I became a Christian, there was a young man in my life and worked for me and stuff like this. And uh, we became really, really close friends, come to church, just involved. And then one day, I made the mistake of hiring this person's best friend. And all of a sudden, his worlds collided. And I realized, oh, my God, he's being one person in front of us. That's his prerogative. But his friends and the rest of his sphere of influence knew a completely different person. And I really, my heart went out for this person. because I said, wow, if you had just been transparent from day one, you would not have this collision right now of worlds. Does anybody in here know what I'm talking about? If you are going to be a friend and if you are really going to be involved in relationships. And let's face it, we're going to be whether we want to or not. Unless you're going to go move to a desert island with just one palm tree and you, that's it. You're, you're, at some point, you're going to have relationships to get involved in. But we have a responsibility before God that when we get involved in a relationship with somebody, it should be to benefit that person, not to take from them, not to use them, not to get them to fulfill our needs, but for us to bless others. That principle goes way back to the book of Genesis. God said to Abram, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing 
So Jesus allows them to experience life with him. He doesn't say to them, you know, guys, this might get a little dirty here. It might get a little, why don't you, why don't you guys go and go, you know, go get yourself a falafel sandwich or something or whatever they ate. Uh, just, you know, and, and just come back in 10 minutes. No, he allowed them. You and I have got to allow people to see life, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Jesus doesn't hide anything from them. In fact, in fact, the relationship is so, um, is so open, and so he's so transparent, he's, he's so vulnerable, that he allows these disciples to ask any question they want and make any request they want. And that's, that's really stepping out there. That's really stepping out. So, so, so we see things like happen, like in Luke, it talks about how one day, you know, they come to Jesus, the disciples, they say, Jesus, teach us to pray the way John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. And so, so he allows them to make this request, and, and, then he, and from there, we get the teaching that we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, it was never meant to be a, a, a ritualistic prayer, our Father, our heaven, hallelujah. That's not, what, that's not the reason he taught to them. He was teaching them a pattern of prayer. Why? Because when you're in relationship with people and you claim to really love them, you want to give them the tools they need to succeed. Yes? So he teaches them, this is how you're to pray. Our Father, Abba, who are in heaven. In other words, acknowledge God. Acknowledge that he's your Father. Acknowledge that he's holy. Acknowledge him. Then you make your request. Why do you think we have worship in the beginning of the service? We have worship in the beginning of the service, not so that we can entertain ourselves, not so it makes time for everybody to get here and take their seats. We have worship in the beginning of the service because that's the time where we're saying, our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. This is for you. We are worshiping you. This isn't so we have our, our own you know, favorite songs. You know, there's no tip jar on the keyboard over there. This is, this is for him. Are you listening to me? That's why, listen to me, please. And don't, don't, don't get mad. Don't get mad. Don't get up in a... Get here in time for worship. Uh, you don't know what I go through. I have four kids. We had four kids. We know what it's like. Set the clock a little bit earlier. Now, not, it's, you, don't take it. Look, that's the time for God. The rest of the service is for us. The worship is for him. If you get here late and you've gotten half, what, 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 what are you doing? You're coming in here. You're not giving God what he's due out of the service. Because the rest is now. You're sitting and listening to me for our benefit. You listening? Does this make sense? Some of you got mad at me? We're in a relationship. You got to forgive me. So, in Mark chapter 13, now we see the disciples ask him a really tough question. And sometimes some relationships don't make it to the tough questions. So Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 1, I believe it is. No, verse, yeah, verse 1. Then he, speaking of Jesus, went out to the temple. Now at this time, obviously in history, the temple is still there in Jerusalem, intact. It's the second temple, not the first one. One of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Because it was an impressive sight. Beautiful. It was considered almost one of the wonders of the ancient world. People came all over from the Mediterranean world to see the temple in Jerusalem. That's how magnificent it was. And so here we are. You know, they're, they're acting like this is the first time he's seen this. It's like, <laughs> I'm Jesus. Yeah. And so, so they're bragging on these buildings and how beautiful and everything else. And I can imagine what a sight it was. 
And Jesus answers and says to them, do you see these great buildings? Not one of these stones shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Verse three. Remember what I said when we started the teaching today? That I've seen a pattern that relationships exist to prepare people for the future. And Jesus at this moment is preparing his disciples for something that they're going to experience in a few decades. That if he had not prepared them for this, they would have been frightened out of their minds. Verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Now, if we were to go to Jerusalem today, go where the Mount of, if we were to go to the top of the Mount of Olives, okay, we'd see that we're here in the Mount of Olives, there's a valley, and on the other side is another, is another mount, and that's where the temple was. So he and his disciples are sitting on the, on the Mount of Olives, and they're facing the temple, and that's where all this bragging is going. Look at these beautiful buildings, look at these beautiful buildings. And so they're sitting there opposite the temple. Now, based on the statement he just made, Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And he goes on to explain to them what's going to happen in their future. And then it stretches all the way down to today, in our present day. He told them, you see all these beautiful buildings? Not one stone is going to be left upon another. So let's say this is about 33 A.D., 30, 30 A.D., 32, 33 A.D. 70 A.D., 40 years later, the Romans come, surround the city, break through the walls, and the first place they go to, the temple. And they set fire to the entire temple compound. Everything that could burn, burns. Now, if you, don't, if you, if you study this, you'll become aware that the temple was full of gold and silver, precious jewels, one of the most expensive buildings that's ever existed. Gold and silver have a very low melting point. The fire that the Romans brought to destroy that area caused all of the gold coverings on the walls and the silver and the implements of worship to melt. And where did it go? Into the joints of every stone block that was in that complex. What did the Romans do? They waited for the fires to die out. They waited for things to cool down. And then they came with thousands of slaves with crowbars and pulled every stone apart to get every piece of gold and silver out of those joints. Jesus' words were fulfilled 100%. When you're in relationship, you prepare your loved ones for the future. He's preparing them for what they're going to see because that sight totally paralyzed the residents of Jerusalem because they never thought that the temple could be destroyed again. It would be like as if we'd made it, had a class trip and we all went to Washington, D.C., and we saw these beautiful monuments, and somebody stood up and said, you think this is gorgeous? Watch, by Wednesday morning, everything is going to be destroyed here, and it would shock you. That's the same effect it had on them, but he prepared them for the future. I want to give you the very last question that he he allowed them to ask, and it's, it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's died. He's been buried. He resurrected from the dead. Forty days later, he's going to ascend back into heaven. He brings all the disciples back to the Mount of Olives, and they ask him this question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why? Why? Why this question? Because they had been taught all of their lives, and for hundreds and thousands of years before that, when the Messiah comes, he will kick out all oppression and he will restore the kingdom to Jerusalem. 
But what they didn't understand and didn't realize that there would be at least a 2,000-year interruption. And thank God for us who were Gentiles that there was a 2,000-year interruption. Otherwise, we'd all be lost. Because now it was during those 2,000 years, it's time for the church to come in, for the Gentiles to come in and become part of the same olive tree, the nation of Israel. And he says to them, it's not for you to know the time and the seasons. Only my father knows. And then he says this, but you shall receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you could be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth. Thank God he said that because we don't live in Judea. We don't live in Samaria. We live in the uttermost parts of the earth. What is he saying? Go and make disciples of all the nations. Are you listening to me? When you're in relationship, I have to paraphrase this now and just go because we're running out of time. When you're in relationship with people, you also put up with their ignorance and you put up with their silly mistakes. Agreed? If you want to retain a relationship. So, so Jesus is traveling to an area of Israel called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the north. It's an area that's known for pagan worship during his time. Because you understand the Romans, when they came in, they brought people from all over the world and they brought their gods and their religions with them. Caesarea Philippi was full of idols. So they're walking through here and they're looking at all these idols. And then Jesus says, they ask the question of the disciples, who, to, who do men say that I am? And one said, well, you're a prophet back from the dead. Another one said this, one said that. And then he says to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? Which is a question that we have to answer if we're going to get to heaven. Okay? And Peter, Simon Peter, Shimon, which Shimon in Hebrew means somebody with no backbone. Okay, Shimon says, Simon says, Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you nailed it, Peter. But I know you didn't think of this on your own. My father in heaven has revealed this to you. So now Peter's like, I hear from God. <laughs> Peter, I hear from God. And then about three or four verses later, Jesus starts to tell him that it's time for him now to go to Jerusalem. where Jesus is going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He begins to explain to them he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, he's going to be buried, but he'll come back from the dead. And the same Peter who just four verses before heard from the Holy Spirit of God and made this declaration of who Jesus is, does this to Jesus. Jesus says, you know, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. And Peter goes like this. Are you crazy? We're never going to let this happen to you. There's no way we're going to let this happen to you. <laughs> Go read it in Greek. In English, it says, and Peter took Jesus aside. No, it says he manhandled him. <laughs> I can't wait to get to heaven. To go up to Peter and say, what were you thinking? But watch this now. Does Jesus fire Peter? No. Does Jesus hold it over his head for the rest of his life? No. Does Jesus say to him, uh, Peter, uh, you're going to be the one that's going to butter the bagels from now on. You're, you're, you're working the kitchen. No, he lets, G he lets Peter grow. Are you, are you listening? He lets Peter grow. He lets Peter learn from his mistakes. Okay? 
And we're going to find out later is what effect it had on Peter's life. But when you're in a relationship with people and you really love people, you let them make some mistakes. Jesus, knowing the hearts of people, had a nickname for James and John. We rarely talk about it because it only appears once or twice in Scripture. But it's early on. He calls James and John the sons of thunder. What the heck is that all about? Well, we see what it's about because it's recorded for us in Scripture that at one point Jesus has to go to, through Samaria. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole thing. Let's put it this way. The people of Samaria have nothing to do with the people of Jerusalem. And the people of Judea and Jerusalem have nothing to do with the Samaritans. They despise each other. So now Jesus has to pass through this area of Samaria to get to Jerusalem. So he says to his disciples, go ahead of us, go into the village, tell them I'm coming so they can prepare. Now, now watch. Now, it's not that they can prepare banquets to prepare that when I get there, I've got to talk to them. I've got some things to share with them. The representatives of the village tell Jesus' disciples, tell him not to come here. We don't want him because we know he's really going to Jerusalem. Okay? They got offended. James and John hear this. They see the disrespect, and they go to Jesus. Watch this now. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven? In other words, we would have said it this way today. You want me to whack these guys? <laughs> Sons of thunder. What does Jesus do? He says to them, guys, you don't know what you're made out of. You don't really know what spirit you're about. So I, I didn't come here to condemn people. I didn't come here to destroy people. I came here to save people. Okay? Did he fire James and John? No. Did he say to the rest of the crew, um, we got to reshuffle our management team here because these guys, we're heading for a lawsuit if these guys continue. Okay, what did he do? He allowed them to make the mistakes. But watch this now, and I got to end with this. Peter, manhandles, man, what? manhandles the creator of the universe. Makes other stupid remarks. Denies Jesus on the very time of Jesus' life when he needed him the most. But just a short time later, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes from heaven to the earth on the day of Pentecost. And Peter gets up and preaches a 12 to 15 minute message and thousands of people commit their lives to Jesus Christ. James James gains the strength and the character and the backbone from the relationship he had with Jesus. Get ready for Mark chapter 3 back there, please. He gains the strength and the backbone and the character to endure being the first of the apostles to be martyred, give his life for Jesus. John, if I would have asked you at the beginning of this teaching, how does the Bible usually refer to John? You would not have told me the son of thunder. You would have said, oh, John, John's the apostle of love. Love. He wants to nuke a whole village. But what happens? Through his relationship with Jesus, watching Jesus' life, Jesus sharing his life with him, allowing him to see all these events that took place in the ministry, changed John so much that by the time you get to John's letters to the church, 1 John, 2 John, 
3 John, the word love appears 31 times in those short letters. What, what caused John to go from the son of thunder, I'm going to wipe them all out, to the apostle of love, Mark chapter 3. And he, speaking of Jesus, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Talk about the disciples. Then he appointed 12. So, so in other words, the 70 must have came with him. But out of the 70, he appointed 12. Watch this now. Would you read the rest of this with me? That they might be what? With him. And that he might send them out to preach. I want to go preach, pastor. I want to go preach. I want to go preach. I want to preach in front of thousands. Have you been spending time with him? I want to work tremendous miracles. Have you been spending time with him? Did he tell them, go to Bible school? Did he tell them, go read some prayer books? Did he tell them, go home and pray for 24 hours? What did he call them? What did he appoint them to do that they might be with him? The Passion Translation says this, that they would be by his side as his friends. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a relationship? Now, now when I say do you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not saying Jesus is going to come to your house in person. He's not on the earth right now. He's coming. But right now, he's not on the earth. He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of majesty, the right hand of God Almighty. Who's here on the earth right now? The Holy Spirit. When you said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, come into my life, Jesus didn't get off the throne and climb in your chest. The Holy Spirit came to live in you. He's got a voice. He has a personality. He hears. He takes from heaven and reports to you. You can have a relationship with him. Jesus, one of the last things he said to his disciples was, you shall receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So let me ask you this question. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to just take inventory. Do you have a personal, active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I was having a conversation with a young man before service. Asked me some questions pertaining to this. I said to him, I know you're going to think me crazy. Think me crazy. I said, let me tell you what I used to do many years ago when I first became a Christian when I was still in the restaurant business. I would get to my restaurant early in the morning, 6, 6.30 at the most. We didn't open the place till 9 o'clock. I would get there early in the morning. I would take a table in my dining room. I would go make myself a cup of coffee, bring that cup of coffee, put it down, my Bible's there, and I would make another cup of coffee and put it on the other side of the table. And I would act like Jesus is sitting there. Let me tell you something. I can trace most of the major revelations that I've received in the Word of God and the teachings of the Word of God to that time. Because when you're crazy enough to act like he's there, guess what? He shows up. I call it practicing his presence. I can't tell you the number of times over the years when I had, especially one period, about two and a half years when I had uh, when I was working way up North Jersey, we lived in Seaside Park, so you got quite a, how many know it's quite a commute from way up North Jersey down to, and the times I would just spend time praying in that van, that broken down work van, I'd pray, God get me home, God get me to work, okay? 
the times that the, the Holy Spirit would speak to me and reveal things to me and tell me, pray for this one, pray for that person, pray for the other person. I can't tell you that. Now, did I know where I was heading at that time? Of course not. You think I knew I'd be standing in front of all of you four times on the weekend? Of course not. But watch this now. That relationship prepared me for my future. God is waiting to have a relationship with you because he wants to prepare you for what's up ahead in your life. He wants to prepare you for whatever season you're heading into. Give him the opportunity. Now listen, I've got to stop. I'm way over, and then the next service is going to come in. And this is what we have to do. I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize, but because of the size of this facility, we can't fit everybody here for one or two services. And so that causes a time limitation. But well, listen, the Holy Spirit knows that. You think the Holy Spirit knows that we've got four services on the weekend? Think the Holy Spirit knows that our parking is limited outside, so we've got to do this quick and so that you can leave and the other people can come? Of course he does. And so he works within our, in our hearts within that time frame. Now, here's what I want to propose to you. I know the Holy Spirit's touched some hearts here today. I know you're going to leave this place today with a picture of Jesus that's very different than when you came in. I know the Holy Spirit's pulling at your heart. I'm going to leave the platform. But what I want to say to you before I leave, please, if you're sensing that tug in your heart, let us pray for you. Don't just walk out the door, grab a cupcake, and head to the parking lot. Come up here. Let us pray for you. Let us lead you in a very simple prayer, allowing you to receive Christ as your Messiah, your Savior, your Lord, your God. You'll leave this place today completely changed. I believe the process has already started. Allow him to complete it. Amen? If you need prayer for anything else, maybe you've got a bad report from a doctor, you might be going through some marital difficulties, maybe there's a financial situation that's really, really challenging you. Don't just go home. Come up here. Allow us to pray for you. Amen? Thank you so much for being such great listeners today. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. Those who need prayer, please come on up. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.